Sam is our lead pastor. And for the last six months, he's been away on a sabbatical. Um, we missed him. <laughs> uh, we're glad to see him back. Um, I'm sure it's going to be uh, strange for him because, uh, you know, he's coming back in. So let's make sure we welcome him. And especially more than that, let's make sure we're praying for him and for his family as they transition back in. But here's Sam. <laughs> Hi everybody, this is, um, hey, I will say it is, uh, it is great to see everybody and uh, I definitely feel like a surge of, uh, of energy <laughs> just seeing everybody and you don't realize how much, um, you know, how, how important uh, the community life is and, you know, different people uh, until like you don't see them for a while, but seeing you all again is just, um, uh, yeah, warming to my heart. Um, Maybe what I'll do is, um, I'll read scripture, and then I'll pray for us, and then I'll preach. <laughs> Sound good? All right. All right, today's scripture is, I'm not blocking it, right? Okay, today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to, uh, I think, 29, to 30, to 30. Um, this is the word of the Lord. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you for your word and uh, how precious it is. And we ask, God, that through your spirit you would, uh, you would speak to us. <clears throat> you would help us to remember uh, the very heart of Jesus. And that as we remember who uh, Jesus is and his heart, towards us, that you would draw us uh, nearer and nearer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. I haven't uh, preached, I haven't spoken in public in like six months, but even before that, we were primarily going virtual, so speaking in front of people is, uh, I guess it's a little new. It feels a little bit new, but uh, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for me to get back into it. I, I think uh, I'll be a little bit awkward at times, but hopefully after a few weeks that goes away. Uh, I've been, you know, in the last six weeks, I'm sure many of you are wondering, like, not six weeks, six months, I'm sure uh, many of you are wondering, like, oh, how's it been and uh, what have I been doing and that kind of thing. Um, you know, my family and I, we did do some travel uh, in the summer. And then after that, uh, you know, I went to California for school. I had to submit a proposal for a dissertation. And then I guess since then, I, I was working on my dissertation. And I also enrolled in a, in a Master's of History class in, at Rutgers uh, because they offered it to me for free. So I've been taking that class as well. And, you know, we'll see if they keep giving me money. If they do, then I guess I'll keep continuing. But uh, basically what I'm trying to say is I've been, like, using a lot of, I've been doing a lot of reading and writing and exercising all these, like, I don't know, more academic muscles. And, uh, you know, now I've got to jump back into it and exercise some spiritual muscles and pastoral muscles. And I imagine it's going to take a little bit of time for me to get back into the rhythm of things. But as I get back into it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually just rely on 
uh, book that I read over the sabbatical. Uh, if you were to ask me how my sabbatical was, I would say uh, I think it was very good and very necessary, but maybe not for the reasons that you would think. Uh, I would say it was good because, um, you know, I, I actually think I, I struggled spiritually. And uh, I would say that it was good to uh, struggle spiritually in the sense that I was able to do it freely and not kind of connect ministry with right, my spiritual life. And I, a lot of it probably had to do with, you know, not having a consistent church community. Uh, if you know anybody looking for a church right now, it's not the easiest time to look for a church uh, in light of COVID. And just visiting churches is basically just a service. There's not much like community life. There's not much fellowship. I was talking to somebody yesterday. We went to a birthday party yesterday for one of our kids. And uh, he's like looking for a church too, but it's just like really hard. And some people are virtual, so you don't even know like who's really a part of the church. It was just like a really weird time to be looking for a church. And, uh, you know, I think during my sabbatical, uh, I felt kind of free to struggle spiritually. And I'm not saying it's good to struggle spiritually, but I was reminded of some things that are very crucial and very basic, but something that I think I lost sight of uh, after being in ministry for, for so long. You know, the first thing I learned is preaching is uh, important. And maybe you from uh, like having like sat there and um, heard sermons uh, for so long, it's like that's obvious. But I guess from my perspective, having like preached for so long, I think I got to a point of like, uh, is this like, does this really matter? And uh, being able to sit and hear the word preached again I was like, oh man, this does really matter. Like how uh, the word that is preached really affects how I'm doing spiritually and uh, it reorients me towards remembering important things about God. So uh, I think I've come back with this conviction of, oh, you know what, preaching is important. Um, you know, the, the, I said first, right? Yeah. So I think the second thing, uh, oh, by the way, you know, we visited different churches and uh, I guess this is another conviction I had. The best messages are the ones that are about Jesus. <laughs> uh, that sounds weird to say, but you know, we went to uh, you know we went to Hawaii and uh, we visited a church, and it was a great church. You know, my kids loved it, and you know, um, the church had like it was like one of those like big churches, and they had a playground, and it's like super convenient and super easy. You send your kids, uh, you go to worship, and it's like oh. No wonder a lot of people love going to a place like this. It's so easy, right? And, uh, you know, we, we heard the message. And actually, the best message that we heard wasn't from the pastor. It was from one of the elders who was an attorney. And I think the reason why it was one of the best messages we heard is it was a very simple message about Jesus and uh, about his grace. It was about justification by grace, by faith. And uh, we came away with that. We were like, oh, that was, like, really refreshing. And I guess my second conviction is like, you know, when you're in a place where you're kind of struggling spiritually, you know, the, the most uh, life-giving thing to hear is about Jesus and about his grace. Now, I met, up, uh, I met up with a friend who was also on sabbatical this past summer, and we're just kind of talking about the different things that we were reading and the different books. And, you know, I read a lot of books during my sabbatical, and most of them did not... Uh, did not touch my soul. <laughs> it wasn't like soul enriching. Uh, but he told me about this one book. He said it was really good and he recommended it to me. And it was called uh, Gentle and Lowly. So I decided to read it. And after I read, read it, it's, it's by this pastor named Dane Ortland. So after I read it, I was like, oh, this is actually a really great book. And this is a book that has filled my soul. So I think what I'm going to do as I get back into preaching, I'm going to rely a lot on some of the themes of this book. And uh, uh, 
preach that maybe for the next uh, couple weeks or so. Now, this book is ultimately about the, the heart of Christ. And the author says, uh, this is who it's written for. It's written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, and the empty. Now, I've been away for a long time, so I don't actually know how uh, many of you are doing uh, spiritually. But I thought it was a pretty good description of me for uh, a period of time in the sabbatical. And uh, so I started reading it, and I really looked forward to what he had to say. And it turns out what he had to say, uh, what he had to say about the heart of Jesus was actually the very thing that my heart needed to hear, that my soul needed to hear, the very thing that filled my soul up. And uh, so I'm going to look at some of those themes for my preaching in the month of December. Now, I think the passage that we, uh, we just read, it's going to be a, a familiar one. And, you know, it's like so familiar. I thought I've actually preached on this passage before. And then I was going back to my notes and seeing, hey, wh when did I preach on this passage? And it turns out I've actually never preached on this passage. Uh, so you assume you preach these things, but you, you never do. Um, I think we probably used it in our liturgy, maybe for our call to worship, and maybe that's why it's familiar. But, you know, when I've uh, read this passage, my focus has always been on the topic of rest, right? Jesus offers this invitation to those who, are, uh, who labor and those who are heavy laden, and he promises to give rest. And I think there's a good reason why the emphasis has always been on rest in terms of, at least when I've read it, because Jesus says, I will give you rest and you will find rest for your souls. He mentions it twice. But you know, I've never really given that much attention to uh, this little phrase in verse 29 where Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And if you think about it, that's, uh, that's a part that cannot be overlooked because it is that very phrase that reveals uh, something very important to us in terms of who Jesus is and his very heart. Uh, it's a part that tells us it is good and safe to respond to Jesus' invitation for us because his heart is gentle and lowly. Now you might think, why would we need to know it's safe to answer Jesus' invitation and come to him? But if you read this passage in, in its context, it's actually surrounded by a lot of words of judgment. Uh, in the passage before, like the paragraph before this one, Jesus is denouncing cities, and he's pronouncing woe upon them if they don't repent. He is saying things like, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Capernaum. Uh, will you be exalted in heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. Right? Very strong language, language of judgment. And so Jesus has been pronouncing these curses upon these cities to these unrepentant uh, cities, and he's telling them, you know, judgment for you will be intolerable because of your lack of repentance. And, you know, you kind of read that part, and it, it should be a little bit scary what Jesus is saying. Now, juxtapose right next to that, right after you get those statements of woe, you get this passage right here. And, of course, there certainly is an aspect of Jesus and his judgment, and that is part of the gospel, but that cannot be the sole, and I would even say the primary lens through which we view and understand the heart of Jesus. See, I think in, in the moments where we might be struggling spiritually, which means, you know, those moments where uh, we're neglecting our relationship with God, those, those moments where we're neglecting prayer, those moments where we neglect his word, where we fail to obey in the things that he wants us to obey in, right? All those kinds of things. Those are the moments where, you know, maybe we have this tendency to view Jesus through that kind of lens. And then there's this kind of like guilt and shame that, that builds within us that comes from our sense of failure or our sense of inadequacy. 
And what it can do is it just creates this greater distance between us and the grace of God. And why wouldn't that be the case, right? Because when I think about parenting, uh, when my children do something wrong, my default reaction is to judge them or to offer correction or to offer rebuke. I tell myself, you know, that's how they're going to change through this constant negative reinforcement. But you see, that's not really how transformation takes place. That may be how behavior modification takes place, but real transformation takes place in the context of a relationship. And that's why I think gentleness is such an important characteristic that I don't think gets enough attention uh, when we read scripture. There's a reason it's listed as one of the characteristics of the fruit of the spirit. It's also a qualification for an elder because gentleness reflects the heart of a shepherd and one of one who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is not to imply that there should never be correction, that there should never be discipline, but it should always come from a gentle heart. Now, if you're a parent, then you probably know the most productive kind of discipline is when it is done in a spirit of gentleness because it doesn't create more distance between you and your child, whereas, you know, the harsh kind of discipline, uh, it creates that greater emotional distance, right? That emotional gap between a parent and child. I think that's why Paul says in Galatians 6 about, you know, the one who is caught in a transgression, he says to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, right? Gentleness leads to greater relational intimacy rather than relational distance, and I think it's in the context of healthy relationship where transformation takes place. Now, by the way, uh, can you imagine how different our world would be, how different society would be if there was just like a little bit more gentleness? Uh, I wonder if the lack of gentleness contributes to like all this harsh polarization. You know, it's not uncommon for people to disagree on something, but when you disagree with someone, how often does like beating them down with your perspective and saying, you're wrong, uh, you're not smart, uh, I'm right. How often does that kind of approach change people's minds, right? How often does it make them open to an alternative view? And I think what tends to happen when disagreement is handled harshly is people, they double down on their own perspective, right? Don't underestimate the importance of gentleness and don't neglect to see it as an important character trait of someone who follows Jesus especially when the norm and the default around us seems to be to just kind of deal with things somewhat harshly. Now, Jesus's heart, it is uh, characterized as being gentle and lowly. And in this book I read, it says, Charles Spurgeon pointed this out to the author's father, and the author's father pointed it out to him, and he's pointing it out to me, and now I'm pointing it out to you. Uh, it's actually very rare for the Gospels to talk about Jesus's heart, right? It talks about his teachings. It talks about his, his actions, his ministry. It's very rare for the Gospels to mention anything about Jesus's heart. But here, right, here, it tells us something about Jesus's heart that is gentle and lowly. Now, when we use the word heart, of course, we're not using it simply to describe our affections. And so when we talk about the Father's heart for us, uh, we are probably using it to describe, you know, the Father's affection towards us. And sure, that is a part of it. But, you know, when the Bible uses heart, uh, it's much deeper than that. The heart is basically the center of who we are. It's not just the center of our, of our affections, but it's also the center of our, our will. It's also the center of our, of our mind. 
And what uh, the author Dane Orton says with respect to the heart is, is this, it is who we are, right? It is who we are. It's no wonder that we don't see very much said about the heart of Jesus because how do you succinctly describe the heart of the second person of the Trinity? But Jesus himself, he offers it to us. He describes his own heart and the way he describes his heart to us is that of being gentle and lowly. Notice that the heart of Jesus is in no way connected to uh, judgment because judgment, I don't think, is reflective of his heart. He could have said, I am just and righteous in heart. And that would actually be true. He is just and righteous. But that's not how he reveals himself to us. Uh, he could have said something like, I am generous in heart, which would be consistent with his desire to give us rest. But he doesn't even say that. What he says to us is, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Why? I think it has to do with relationships. You see, if we see Jesus as one who is gracious, then we might think the benefit of knowing Jesus is basically based on the things that we receive from him, right? That's a very easy thing to do. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is very gracious, and we do receive all kinds of treasure from him measured by eternity, but we don't want to understand Jesus in this purely utilitarian sense. He is not the ultimate philanthropist because a philanthropist doesn't necessarily offer relational intimacy. You see what Jesus is saying here, he is gentle and lowly in heart because these are the qualities that are important in the context of relationship. Now we, we talked a little bit about the quality of gentleness, but what does it mean when Jesus says he is lowly in heart? You know, it's a word that is translated in the Bible as uh, humble in other places, but it's not necessarily talking about humility as, as a virtue. Um, but it's talking about humility with respect to status, lowly with respect to status. The lowly are the ones who are low in status. Uh, that's, not, that's not how one would think to describe Jesus the Lord of glory, but that's how Jesus describes himself. Why? Well, the Lord of glory may not seem accessible to sinners. Uh, those who are lesser in status usually don't have access to those who are higher in status, right? Uh, if a high-level executive or partner of a firm, uh, uh, or if you are a, like some kind of high executive or something like that, can some kind of college intern, do they have access to you? Can they text you? Can they call you up with a question? Can they say, hey, where's the bathroom? Right? Most likely they wouldn't do that, right? Because the access isn't there. The only way someone like that can have that kind of access is if someone of higher status grants them that access, gives them that access. And Jesus is saying he is lowly in heart because he wants us to know that we have access to him. And that fits in perfectly with the context of this passage because, you know, in verse 25, Jesus talks about how the Father has revealed these things, not to the wise, not to the understanding, but to who? To little children. To little children. Who are children? Children were low in status in the ancient world, but they were the very ones Jesus invited to come to him, reflecting his very heart um, you know, I told you when we were visiting uh, churches on our sabbatical, uh, <clears throat> you know, in our, in our church, we, we tried to start something where the children would be with us in the first half of the service, and then during the sermon, they would go and do their own lesson. And uh, the reason we do that is, I mean, we know it's like more difficult uh, for parents, at least, to have your kids with you uh, in the service. But, um, you know, the reason we wanted to do that is because we wanted to convey to 
both to children and to the church that you know, kids, uh, they're, they're an important part of the body of Christ. Uh, we worship together, we worship together in community, and that should be inclusive of kids, even if they don't get anything out of it, right? Which maybe they don't. Uh, I will say, uh, you know, having gone to like a church that, churches that make it very easy and, you know, you kind of sign the kids in and they go, it, it is much easier, and I can see why people love to do it, uh, and it's, it's much more convenient. Uh, but what we wanted to convey is, uh, children are important. Uh, not important in terms of what they get out of it, but also uh, the reverse. Children are important for what adults can get out of it. Uh, we want to look at children as uh, people to learn from in terms of faith. Now, why is that? How is that? Uh, you know, children are obviously dependent beings, and they're shameless about that, and uh, that's probably the first thing we think about when we think about the example of children for our faith. Yeah, we want to be dependent upon Jesus just as kids are dependent beings. Uh, but I actually want to highlight something else uh, that I've learned from children. You know, <clears throat> when kids are tired and when they are hungry, uh, it can be pretty exhausting to deal with like their emotional tantrums and their outbursts. And I'm not going to tell you which one of my kids, but when one of my kids is going through that, you know, she starts like screaming, like, ah! and then it's like starts stomping, right? And starts like slamming doors and, and kicking walls and things like that. And that lasts, I don't know, maybe like an hour. <laughs> and I get like so, I mean, I get f so frustrated and so like angry sometimes. But after like that whole uh, experience, I just get like really emotionally drained uh, for like the rest of the day after one of those episodes. And what's like really interesting after that whole episode is over is kids, they kind of bounce back as if like nothing happened, right? So uh, after that happens, like, you know, um, they'll come up to you and they'll say, hey, can you, can you play with me, right? Can you do this? <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like looking at, I, like, are you kidding me? Like, do you, do you have any sense of what you just put me through? Uh, don't you feel bad at all? Why are you asking me to play with you now? Uh, and you know, I think, I think maybe that's how adults think of things, but that's not how kids think of things. Uh, as I reflect on that, I really think that's how we should be with respect to Jesus. You know, maybe the more adult way of reacting is like, you know, you avoid somebody that you wrong because you feel like kind of bad about it, you feel guilty, you feel a little bit uh, ashamed about it. But that's not really what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to come to him like a little child. You know, even when we're not doing well, even when we're struggling, even when we disobey, I think he wants us to bounce back like a child would and come to him freely. Uh, he wants us to come to him so he can lift our burdens. He wants us to come to him so that he can give us the rest that we all long for deep within our souls. And that's why he tells us he is gentle and lowly in heart. That's who he is. That's the heart of Christ, gentle and lowly. If you read a good chunk of the Bible, you might find that hard to believe if you were a Jewish person and the only thing that you had were the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, maybe that will offend you a little bit because then you associate gentleness with like God is a little bit soft. Uh, but God is definitely not soft. And uh, when it comes to sin, he does not deal with sin in a soft manner. He's not soft uh, towards sin. He's actually quite harsh towards sin because that is what holiness calls for. And so how can Jesus then reveal himself as gentle and lowly in heart? Why is he calling those who are burdened by the weight of sin, to use the language of Hebrews, to come to him? 
And it's because the cross makes that possible. Right, friends? The cross is what makes that possible. The fact that we have this crucified Messiah reveals multiple things at once with respect to the very heart of God. You know, on the one hand, he is harsh with respect to sin. And we can see the harshness with respect to sin because of what Jesus himself endured when he dies upon the cross. On the other hand, we see the heart of God to save sinners. That's, that's his desire, for sinners to come to him, for transgressors to come to him, for those who are weak to come to him, for those who are discouraged to come to him. That is his very heart. That is what he longs for. And it's not as though God's disposition is to say, uh, before you come to me, you got to you know, jump through all these hoops and you got to prove yourself worthy in order to come to me. It's not like he's kind of like crossing his arms and watching you crawl to, him, crawl to him in like this sense of like deep shame. That is not his disposition at all. Again, Jesus reveals his disposition is to be gentle and lowly in heart. His arms are wide open, right? As a loving parent's arms are wide open to a child. He wants you to be comforted by his love. He wants you to be overjoyed to get to know him. He wants you to feel the, the lightness, the levity of life when you share his yoke. And so come, right? Come to him. You're not coming to a lifestyle. You're not coming to a moral structure. You're not coming to a religious system. You are coming to a person whose very heart is gentle and lowly. You are coming to one seeking relationship. And in the context of that relationship, experiencing the kind of transformation of heart that we all long uh, to happen. Jesus' gentle and lowly heart tells us more than anything that Jesus is somebody that we can come to. He's not calling us to come to him when we have our life together. He is not calling us to come to him only when we're spiritually on fire, when we feel like praying, uh, when we are living obediently, when we have our dignity. He calls us to come to him in our weakness, when we struggle, when we suffer, when we disobey, when we don't have it all together in our lives. Come to him freely because he's gentle and lowly. You know, this is a season of Advent, and so we should be thinking about how Jesus came to us. That's what Advent means, right? The coming. We should be thinking about how Jesus came to us into the world through his incarnation. But as we think about how Jesus came to us, let's also think about how he wants us to come to him. Let's pray. You know, uh, <clears throat> during sabbatical, I've missed prayer meetings, uh, and I didn't have other people to pray with on a regular basis. So if you would indulge me, um, let's sp spend a little bit of time uh, in prayer. And I guess what I want you to reflect upon, um, I guess where you are uh, in spiritually in your relationship with God, and if you feel there is distance, and if you feel like you've, you've struggled and probably the biggest uh, reason for struggle is just the busyness of life, right? We just don't have time a lot of times. Uh, whatever it is, um, you know, ask God to remind you of his gentleness, his approachability, and, uh, you know, ask God to come and bring greater relational intimacy uh, into your life and to feel the, the things that he promises that come with that. Um, 
sense of life, the sense of peace, the sense of rest. And uh, maybe after a few moments, I'll pray for us. Uh, God, maybe in the world that we live in, and maybe even the way uh, we are in our hearts, uh, there's a finite amount of times that someone can disappoint us uh, before we kind of uh, grow cold to them. But God, may, may that not be our, our perspective of you. Um, for God, we know that because of not only your character, but also because of your, your actions upon the cross, no matter how many times we may fall short and disappoint, uh, you are always uh, seeking those who are repentant in heart, those who are willing to come to you uh, like a child, to answer your very invitation, um, that you welcome those uh, with open arms. And we pray, God, that uh, you know wherever we are spiritually, um, wherever we are in our relationship with you, uh, you would ingrain that, that vision into our minds, into our hearts, uh, that we wouldn't uh, be afraid or we wouldn't be hindered uh, from coming to you, from turning to you. Um, you know, maybe for some of us, we haven't really prayed to you in weeks or months even, or maybe even years. God, I pray that you would remind us that you are gentle and lowly in heart and that you offer us this wonderful invitation to come to you, to take upon your yoke that we might have rest. Uh, you know, we make, um, we make our faith out to be so much uh, more uh, around practices and doing, and uh, maybe in a sense proving our worthiness uh, as Christians. Uh, but God, uh, before all that, Help us to see things through the lens of the cross, uh, to receive the grace that you so freely offer, and, and to come to you. Uh, we all struggle uh, at various times, and um, you know sometimes we do feel maybe that uh, spiritual deadness in heart. Uh, but we, would you give us a taste of the life that you have to offer? a taste of the power of the resurrection uh, to raise us to new life and to remember um, how good it is to be 
in relationship with you, to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.